Hi, I'm Dr. Sedna Bokaria, and this is Leader Voices, a show about leaders and their infinite ability to change the world. Okay, I'm going to just jump right in. Today's episode is a period piece, literally. It's about menstruation. Okay, did you catch your breath? Then let's begin. We've heard all the euphemisms. It's that time of the month. Aunt Flo is coming for a visit. On the rag. Shark week. A 2016 report released by the International Women's Health Coalition revealed that there are over 5,000 such euphemisms used around the globe. Another recent study has found that a third of male workers think it's inappropriate to discuss anything to do with menstruation in the office, which I find fascinating because you can't even spell menstruation without using M-E-N. <laughs> so why is it so hard to talk about something so natural? Today, I get the opportunity to speak with two incredible voices in the menstruation movement who provide a global perspective on how different women experience period pains based on their location and geography. So let's make this period piece present. My first guest is a returned Peace Corps volunteer and the co-founder of the Agenda Period. Now, this is a movement to help women and menstruators grow and lead their businesses using their monthly cycles. Without question, she is one of the leading voices in this space, and it is my distinct pleasure to chat with Alex Kobel Frakes. Thank you for having me. I'm super honored to be here talking about this topic with you all today. So thank you so much. Thank you. Um, excited to talk to you and take this conversation into a different space. We've been talking about this in terms of international barriers um, to sanitary products ar around the world for, for girls, and which are very real and devastating to people all around the globe. And helping leaders see menstruation not as a block or a barrier, but maybe even an asset is something that you're doing in your work. So tell me a little bit about the work that you do in this space? Yeah, so I was, um, I'm as honestly surprised as you are to be talking about this because when I started this journey, I never thought I would be a champion or this excited about menstruation. Um, I grew up in Iowa. I grew up with a really strained relationship with my body and particular my menstrual cycle. It was very clear early on from my very first period that is not something we talk about in polite company or ever. And so now to like be talking like period, period, like there's an, a period echo, I think that follows me around. Um, and so it's just, it's really interesting to be here now and what I've learned um, because like you mentioned, I'm a returned Peace Corps volunteer. I've got a development background. I saw some of those challenges in the field in real time. And still because of my internalized shame around this topic, didn't understand all of the intersectionalities and nuances that come with this topic. Uh, so really how I dove into this space was after coming back from the Peace Corps, I had worked with other nonprofits and a lot of youth and education and all this really interesting work, but I hated working for other people. I was really, really bored of not being the boss. So I decided to start a health coaching company. And through that process, um, I eventually understood this really unique menstrual component, but it didn't even start off again about the period. Uh, I started tracking my sales and I found that I had the highest sales in the ovulation phase of my menstrual cycle. And my mind was totally blown wide open. Um, I had learned about cycle syncing. It's super trendy in the health space right now, like change what you eat and how you exercise for the phases of the menstrual cycle, which is fantastic and something I'm a huge champion of. But I was like, oh man, once I saw that ovulation connection, I was like, why isn't anyone talking about this for my business? Like, what the heck? <laughs> um, and like over the last almost three years and a lot of research and reflection, the people playing in this space, the productivity space, the sales space, the honestly, a lot of times the leadership space are men or male presenting. And they have a huge blind spot because they don't have periods. Um, and so they don't make products that help support us work with the cycle because they don't have them. And even some of the top players in the space, like Clue and Flow, like there was one woman between both of those founding teams. So when we look at the landscape, I was no longer curious or confused as to why this topic wasn't present. It was because the people in the room aren't bringing it to the table. And so that's what I want to do. 
So let me just rewind a second. Let's just take a moment. Let's try and imagine every month, <laughs> every man bleeding from their penises every month. What, what would the world look like? We would have menstrual leave already. Um, we would like have like contests about blood loss and <laughs> probably like, <laughs> like, oh, like period stores where they're like, this is the period store. Come get your period swag. <laughs> and like everyone would talk about it. And um, there would already be billions of dollars of research to eradicate the pain. Just like we have, you know, billions of dollars of research that have gone into correcting erectile dysfunction um and that's <laughs> you know a whole other thread but like if if men were bleeding from their penises every month the, the landscape would be really different and we wouldn't expect that they would all be just uncomfortable or in extreme pain and just call that normal that would absolutely not be happening thank you for that so let me ask you this there's there are some gaps traditionally, historically, in terms of even the, the feminist kind of response to this concept of PMS. So um, I'll synop like give you a synopsis in terms of what my interpretation is, that traditionally, some people see this concept of PMSing as a weakness or a stereotype of women as weaker. Um, I know that there's controversy in terms of even offering um, at the international level where certain countries are offering paid period leave for women. And some women are saying, hey, no, I don't want that because it's suggesting that I'm somehow weaker, et cetera. So talk to me a little bit about how you can use the identification of your cycle to be more uh, powerful? I love that question because we get that a lot or people even assuming that I'm telling them they can't do something during their period uh, because really what we what it boils down to is we created a framework like hey these things might be the easiest for you to work on based on what's going on in the hormonal fluctuations that are totally normal and totally natural and awesome but because of the world because of intrinsic and ingrained patriarchy it can feel like an affront to acknowledge the truth of your experience because we've had to really disconnect from our body for so long in order to make it and to thrive and to be successful, right? There's a lot of menstrual trauma. There's a lot of bodily disconnection we see for women. Um, and I find this interesting as a health coach, we see uh, adrenal fatigue and stress-related disorders and all of these like mind-body connections being really, really high for women, rates of anxiety and depression and all of these mental health conditions. And I think that they are connected to this this cry or demand to ignore what is going on in your physiology, right? When you are constantly say, like, ignore the pain, push through it, suck it up, forget about it. That does a lot on the psyche as well in this space. So what we want to offer is just, you don't have to change anything if you don't want to, but here's a baseline where you could explore, may I may actually feel better, may I feel more productive, may things get easier for me if I adapt when I'm going to feel like doing something and then focusing on it then rather than forcing myself to do stuff that doesn't actually align and I don't want to do. Um, like a funny anecdote that I think back now as a child is like randomly once a month I would feel like deep cleaning my room and my mom and I would have like these power struggles about cleaning my room cleaning my room and then like all of a sudden I would clean my room and I would like spend 10 hours cleaning my room like knowing now I was like definitely in the luteal phase and it just felt really good and necessary and easy to do that task at that time so if my mom could have known that we could have worked and planned for that and there wouldn't have been a power struggle and I could have just focused on it when it was going to be easy and knock out that task but instead I think my mom finally was like every month well I finally got through to her and she cleaned her room up um, no, I don't really think it was that at all. It was just like cyclically, it just ended up feeling really easy for me to do it at that time. And so that's kind of what's on offer here is the self-exploration that allows everyone to do what feels best for them when it feels best to do it. And that just feels like the kind of world I want to participate in. Sure. So talk to me about the, the time frame. So you identified that you excelled in your sales during ovulation. Talk to me about the physiological stages and how it's different for men and women and what those look like. Yeah. So when it's really interesting because I've now gone through business programs and accelerators and had to kind of try to defend the research. And a really great example of this is I was trying to find, you see all these charts of women's hormones mapped over 28 to 35 days. And I was like, great, I want to find one for men that shows the same 
journey and then we can compare the graphs. And I could not, if someone knows where to find one, let me know. But I spent hours trying to find a map of men's hormones over 30 days and I could not find one because they're like, here's over 24 day, 24 hours. And then it's the same the next day and it's the same the next day and it's the same the next day, right? So then we can see why men have this idea of consistency. That means we get up at 5 a.m. and we do our workout and we do our work and it's the same every day because their body is doing the same thing every day. And why that programming doesn't work for women because we've got this much different kind of hormonal patterning and the hormones are just chemical messengers that communicate with all of the major systems in our body. And so the programming is different. And that just means what we call consistency looks a little bit different and may feel more phase specific for folks. And that's not bad. We're just conditioned to think that the way that testosterone patterning work is how all humans are. And that's only half of the story. So there's a lot to break through in this space to really find a more equitable world. So we've got quite a path ahead of us here. Sure, sure. So let's talk about equity in the workplace in, in connection to menstruation. What can we do differently as leaders to make it more equitable for women? Yeah. And I think, so a big part of is the dignity in the actual products and it's, you know, women. And then there are other, there are menstruators who don't identify as women. So providing in a location in your office, for example, uh, period products, we, we provide toilet paper for free. No one bats an eye. So many places offer free condoms. No one bats an eye, but like <gasps> the audacity of thinking about period products, this is a necessary thing that we, if you are a menstruator, you cannot stop the blood from coming. Like no matter what people say on the internet, so offering that would be a huge step forward. Uh, and then I think the pandemic, as horrific as it is, has shown us something really interesting about workplace flexibility, right? When people have additional spaciousness to decide when they're going to fit in their work amongst all of the other things they were juggling at home, we expected to see a reduction in productivity. And that actually did not happen. We actually saw, in most cases, a uh, a increase of productivity of up to 40% for some industries when people had this more flexible spaciousness way to plan and accomplish the task that they were doing anyway. And so if we could have a little, that's why I menstrual leave, hell yes, let's do it everywhere because you're actually going to see an increase in productivity. You're not going to see a reduction in anything. And so that is an old tired narrative that the business community can really get together and champion because if at the end of the day, you care about money, which I think you should care about people over product, but if you only care about money, this is the most sensible economic plan you could put into your organization. Yes. And thank you so much for pointing out that not all women menstruate and not all menstruators are women. Menstrual equity is gender inclusive. So we're using the term menstruators to refer to all people who experience menstruation. Um, and I, I wanna ask you, so as a social entrepreneur, are there trends that you're seeing in the field of period, um, periods, reproduction, women's health and well-being? and other areas that have traditionally been stigmatized or felt as taboo to talk about. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of interesting changes in what they're kind of calling femtech. So these products that are really, you know, for the technologies that have been ignored. So sexual health, reproduction, um, menstruation, pregnancy, all of these different topics and actually creating interesting solutions by having women and people who experience these problems at the table making the solutions. And it is extremely lucrative to be doing this work right now. So again, women are the like undertap, number one undertap resource and there is money to be made of creating solutions for them. So that is a, a great trend that we're seeing right now in the industry, but unfortunately still not enough of those dollars are actually going to women founded companies. So I hope to see that increase by talking about it because we need the people with the problem creating the solutions. Otherwise, we see what's going on. Like in contraception, there hasn't been a major change in hormonal birth control in 50 years. Bras, there hasn't been a major change since bras were invented. Tampons, the same thing because they've been created and maintained by people who don't have the problem. Um, so I really hope that that changes and that we can be a big stand for that in the menstrual and femtech space. So when we talk about talking about menstruation and, you know, there's a lot of literature specifically in the space of, you know, bringing your whole self to work, being authentic in the workplace, um, leadership in terms of vulnerability. So I want to talk to you about that. So I tell people who are close to me that 
when it's three days before my period, it's probably a good idea for them to leave the state. <laughs> is, is, that, is that part of this, just being vulnerable and saying, look, the three days before my period, I am not as patient. I might be a little bit more paranoid and I might be, you know, just not my best self. How do you encourage leaders to embrace the various ways in which different women experience menstruation? I love that. I think honesty is the antidote to shame. And um, what I would invite you, and I know, I don't know if I'm supposed to do that to the, the, get, the host of the podcast, but like that is the really like the shadow work talking of how we're because what I'm hearing is like, maybe you have really strong boundaries. Maybe you have a lot of discernment. Maybe you don't have time for bullshit, right? So maybe like we can look at those as opportunities to partner with that side and up level that side because we don't give women a lot of nuance to be able to act in all of those facets of our personality. And so instead of saying like, at, this isn't a good time for me you say, well, maybe I'm just going to be very clear and upfront. So if you're ready for that kind of conversation, this is a good time to book on my calendar. But I think part of that is understanding the gifts we bring with us as we go through these shifts and changes and reframing that language has been hard because I also have had a really toxic relationship with the luteal phase or that time right before my period starts, right? Because I'm a naturally aggressive, direct, intense. Those are some of the words that you know, if I was a dude, people would talk about very differently than they sometimes do for me. Um, but I've almost been ashamed of those parts of myself because it's like not what society thinks of as a good woman or what, how we should be or show up. So when I can own those parts of myself, the intensity can like dial down a little bit, but I can live into the positive side of those traits and just be able to occupy all of the facets of my personality. So I think it is wildly important for leaders to be able to do that and then to talk honestly guys you know I'm really tired today so we're gonna actually put off this meeting and we're gonna recircle up on Monday I hope you all take some time over the weekend to really care for yourself um, I think leaders being up front wh whether you choose to talk about your period or not but being having that honesty and transparency and vulnerability will help shift and make the world that we want to see so there, there is traditionally, so some Indian, um, Hindu, and in India, for, for instance, growing up, I was told you don't go into a temple if you have your period. Um, in Bali and in Malaysia, when I've gone there, there's signs in front of the temples that say, if you are a woman who's menstruating, you're not allowed to come inside this, this holy space because you were dirty. Yeah. Um, so I, I love what you're saying in terms of embracing the the honesty and the vulnerability. Um, uh, what about this, the stigma and the shame that historically is associated with menstruation as a private conversation that's not appropriate? Yeah, we, we see those as really powerful tools of the patriarchy all the time because what that is a dog whistle for is like shame and secrecy when we're like, oh, we shouldn't talk about it. That means people don't ask for help. They can't get support that they need. And it's wrapped up in presented in a way that I think is disingenuous um, in order to keep people, women and menstruators small and um, shackled, you know, to, to their own disempowerment. And so I understand it's not safe for some people, literally not safe for some people on the planet right now. Some of the places you, you brought up, right? There are horrible atrocities that happen to women who are menstruating all over the world. And so I think it's the responsibility of us who have that flexibility and freedom to bring the conversation in a different way. Um, sure. Yeah, so, because so I, I just think it's disingenuous when they say, oh, we should do this because it's really just to make you feel bad about the fact that your body does this. And without periods, we would not have more people. Like, more, like this blood helps insulate the womb for our baby to be like, our species would not continue without periods. So yeah. that's pretty freaking powerful. And that's what I think the real fear is, right? Is like, they're not really afraid. They're actually, they're, they're afraid, not disgusted. They're like really afraid of the power. If we all tap into that collectively and so we're not gonna be afraid of this. We're not gonna be afraid of our voices. We're not gonna be afraid of occupying space. That is a pretty dangerous statement for the patriarchy. <laughs> it is freaking powerful. 
It is freaking powerful. And I appreciate you phrasing it in that way because it is the perpetuation of future populations. Um, so, so tell us about the actual phases of our cycles and what the research indicates as to how it can um, play out differently um, individually during their period cycles. Yep, so phase one, we look at it as like your period. Day one, you start when you actually have the bleed that's happening. And I like to talk about it with this, the seasons. I did not come up with this framework, but it's a really helpful way for someone coming to this information for the first time. So your period is like internal winter. So may feel more quiet, more like hibernating, more meditative during this time. So on a work aspect, this can be a great time to inwardly plan and think about the next cycle in your workspace or in your business. What do I wanna be working on next? What makes sense? It also can be a great time for intuition to come through. So that's a little bit on the spiritual side. They talk about the opening, like they talk about the cervix as the opening, the portal between life and death, because that's how babies are born. And so like when it opens and you release the menstrual blood, like there's this spiritual opening that can happen. So it can be a great time for the planning. Um, and then this also can lead to more, they've shown more connectivity between the right and left hemisphere of the brain. And this is when we're kind of, re, the, the hormones are restarting to come back up. So estrogen will slowly start to rise during your period. Um, so that's kind of what's going on internally. The next phase is the follicular phase. So this is when, this is like our inner spring time. So you may feel more excitable. I'm actually in the follicular phase right now. Great time for this podcast. I feel very chatty, um, but this is when the follicle stimulating hormone is increasing. So that's gonna be preparing that those next batch of ova that have kind of been racing towards um, their maturation date. And typically only one will pop out right right at the end, um, right around ovulation. So you have increased estrogen, increased follicle stimulating hormone. And so you feel like doing and, and being maybe more social. So great time to, you made your plan for your work. Now you actually start to put those actionable into place. Um, next is the ovulation. This can be like that really super juicy time. Uh, the follicle stimulating hormone again, then the luteinizing hormone, which actually makes the follicle pop out um, high, highest level of, of estrogen and also our highest level of testosterone. So that can um, impact sex drive and all of those different components around that time. They actually say that our face is the most symmetrical during ovulation. So these are all biological markers that help the body with a potential pregnancy. Um, so if you don't want that, just be kind of mindful about your, your family planning during that time. Um, but it, it makes a lot of sense. So it's a good time to ask for what you want and kind of receive the results from the planning and doing you've been putting in place over the last couple of weeks. So again, that's our inner summer time. And then the final phase is the luteal phase. This is the, typically the longest phase in the cycle. And this is like our inner internal autumnal time or kind of like that harvest. So I, I think of it as a great time for analyzing, organizing all the things I've been planning, working, manifesting over the last three weeks, two to three weeks, and really sitting with what went well, what didn't go well, and what do I want to do differently next time? So those is a really high level breakdown. Fascinating. Um, so I, I have a, a couple of questions. So I, I was an English major and I specialized in Shakespearean studies. And part of our uh, literature was reading some of the, the first books that were published. Um, so the book that comes to mind is The Midwives Book, which was published in 1671 by a woman named Jane Sharp. It was um, it was published and they, they talk, it's meant for women to understand their bodies, but the language that was used was heavily patriarchal, as you can imagine. And when they talk about the opening and closing of the cervix, the analogy they use is like a purse opening and closing and the, the woman's cervix capturing the sperm um, only during orgasm. Cause at that time they believed that you could only get pregnant during orgasm, which of course connected to people not truly being considered raped if they got pregnant yeah. as a result of that. So it's fascinating in terms of the literature and the power of putting everything that you just said into media, into accessible documents and education to really change the game in terms of young women all women, all menstruators, all people, boys as well, men as well, to really understand the ways in which this is um, traditionally, I think, misrepresented and, and um, 
misconstructed. So talk to me about boys and men and how they come into the role of improving this sector, reducing the stigma and really educating us as a, a community. That's such a great question. I think we really need to look at the root. I, when I think about the agenda period work a lot, I think of we're helping people learn what they should have learned in sixth grade. And right now we are really focusing on women and menstruators and younger girls and the whole, that whole spectrum. But eventually the work must include changing the conversation for everyone in elementary school. So I hope to work with like the Department of Education someday to change the entire curriculum because there's also a lot of shame for men and boys around menstruation, which is why I think there's a lot of sarcasm and inappropriate humor as a way to deflect the uncomfortable feelings they have in the space. So I have a lot of empathy for all of those individuals there. But men turn in, boys turn into men who are still crafting the majority of policy on a global scale. They're running a majority of budgets. They're a majority of venture capitalists. And so if we can't help them come to this space, um, it's going to be hard to really find solutions here, right? Because the money's not going to be there. The votes aren't going to be there. And we're not going to be able to perpetuate a new future together. So I think just having those open conversations, if someone's listening, um, tell your your son about your period tell them about products tell them how to be a supportive person if there's a girl or menstruator in their classroom who needs some help i think starting really young is the is the key to changing the solution because when they just know it's normal from the very beginning they don't carry that shame and they actually get because I've, I've met young boys who like just learned very openly about it and they're then confused as to why anyone would think it's weird. Um, actually, my little cousin, <laughs> I don't know if he'll ever hear this podcast. I hope he's not embarrassed, but he just was really grown, uh, grew up in a very progressive household. And when I was launching the agenda period, I was at a farmer's market doing a table about it and I had to go grab lunch. And so he sat and just talked to people about what the company was as like a 13 year old boy. I was like, this is amazing. And he's like, I don't know if I did a great job, but I try to tell people what you're building. So I hope like some people sign up, but he wasn't embarrassed at all. He just like, he just like, was like, it's totally normal. Why would anyone think this is weird? And I think that is what is on offer. Um, and then together we can create that, that coalition to together create new solutions. Sure. It's a great point. Um, going back when, when I learned about menstruation in elementary school, I was in fourth grade. They took the boys, they put them into a separate room. I'm assuming they had some type of a discussion that we were not privy to. And the girls went into a separate room and we were provided with um, pads. We were shown how to put them on. And um, every, like the next day, all the girls were like, so did you get it? Like, it's almost like we thought we would get it that week. So we're all like, did you get it? Did you get it? Did you get it? Um, but we, we were separated. And it was, I think, again, another example of how this is something that has been taught to us as something that we talk about in private. Tell us about the agenda period. What, what is it? Yeah. So when I, after I like kind of understood what was going on in my business, I just wanted somebody to show me how to do it. Show me how to plan. I had heard about time blocking, never worked for me. Not surprisingly, that was like a, a man who started that and like had a very rigid, like kind of structure for that. But I was like, that's also like, I want to batch my tasks together. And so I was in a meditation and this idea is super weird. It's like big magic that Elizabeth Gilbert talks about. This idea floated into my head of like a period planner. And I was like, oh my God, that's so genius. Let me go buy it right now. Because it was such a vivid meditation that I knew it already existed. And then I couldn't find it anywhere. Like I looked, I was like Amazon period planner for your business, like Googling it, like trying to find all of these resources. And I just could not find it after sitting with that fear for almost a year. Cause I was like, if no one's made it, then it's probably super weird. And everyone will think I'm crazy. So maybe I should just not do it. Um, but I finally talked to enough people and decided, you know what, let's just, let's just try it. I did a beta test with around 50 other women in business. They thought it was super fun. We launched a Kickstarter. We made the physical planner and everyone's like, this is beautiful. When are you making an app? And I was like, you guys know, like it took me like a year and a half to even make the, like to even be okay <laughs> making the planner. I'm like, I'm a health coach. I can't make an app. But it was just one of those things that people kept asking and asking and asking. And I did a lot more research and competitive analysis and trying to understand what was in the market already and why there are so many solutions when people even ask me about this. 
and that's when I really just connected the dots between this is not just about period tracking. This is about cyclical living and understanding how to care and support yourself. 365. And that's what the other apps are. They're not positioned like that. They're, they help you know when your period should come and when you're probably ovulating. But this is about understanding yourself every day and then getting the tools and the education and the supplies to support yourself each and every day. And so that's really what we're hoping to create in the long term with the Agenda Period app. So what you're doing, if I understand correctly, is you're allowing women to physically chart what's happening to their bodies and chart when they self-identify their strengths and what I would say for me is my, my weaker days um, and using that knowledge to aid in my leadership. Yep, because it, it actually connects with your Google Calendar. So what we show people is like it has at the very top of their calendar, just it pre-populates it for you. So, cause some people are like, I just added it to my Google Calendar. I'm like, we're doing it for you because no one wants to really do that all the time and make counting out the days and making the, the events, blah, 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 right? It's just, we're all busy. So it just like sucks that information from the app, puts it on your Google Calendar. And so then it also gives you this kind of moment of reflection what I found for myself in the morning or the night before I pull up my calendar for the next day okay I'm having this great opportunity for a podcast how am I going to be feeling tomorrow I've got these meetings how am I going to be feeling because there's that just that little reminder at the top of my calendar what phase I'm in and so if I may feel like I'm on one of my weaker days I know how to support myself with self-care making sure I get enough sleep get a really good breakfast it just kind of mentally preps me for how to work with what's going on without projecting anything extra. So we're not saying you will have a terrible day tomorrow. So be, be ready for that. It's just like, Hey, here's what phase you're in. Now, you know about yourself. What does that mean for you? And then use that to inform how you show up, how you take care of yourself, what kind of support you ask for. Um, and it's just really this self-care awareness unfolding that has been super interesting to watch. Fascinating. Um, so final question. So we know at a, a global scale that there's, there's multiple parts to this, just menstruation in general. So you have people in the world who don't have access to sanitary options, which correlates to their um, inability to obtain education and um, the, the poverty aspect of it. We, we just did an interview with someone who shared about instances in Kenya where girls are actually having sex in order to be able to afford pads and then the, the lack of sustainability where they just have enough pads for one month. So it's like, what do you do when, when you don't have enough to get to the next month? Um, but in terms of, you know, when we were talking about putting this episode together, I really wanted to talk about the way in which this is a global issue and how it can be vastly different in the Western world. And I know that you work with a lot of nonprofits on the access side as well. So tell me about your work with nonprofits and how you're tackling this from an access point, but then also with your work in terms of the Western world and saying, okay, everybody is going through this in a different way. How can we make you um, more equipped to handle this? Yeah, that's such a beautiful question. And it's such a long-term project. And it's actually the moonshoot of the agenda period is to help bring about true global menstrual equity. And when I hear that talked about a lot. I hear about like that meaning everyone should have access to supplies and that is a necessary foundational step. But what it means for me is everyone has access to the supplies, the education and empowerment around each and every phase and stage of their cycle from first period all the way through menopause. So that's a really different definition than everyone should have access to pads or tampons. So what that means practically is from the user side, helping them understand their body helping them get the education in, and get the right supplies for them, and then partnering with organizations who are giving those supplies to other folks. So as we continue to build, it will look like people with economic privilege being able to easily through the app donate supplies to people who don't and running campaigns with those nonprofit organizations and eventually leading to a global alliance where we get everyone to the table who is interested in solving global menstrual equity. So that's really, you know, maybe in like the five to 10 year plan is like crafting an organization that 
has a strong stand for everyone taking their piece of this rather than continuing to duplicate services or everyone feeling like they're in the void by themselves. It is about connecting and collaborating all of the folks, all of the players and bringing them to the table to walk forward. And that may look like solutions we haven't even created yet, things we haven't even thought about or haven't even crossed our minds. But I know we'll be able to find that container when we bring everyone together. Excellent, excellent. Well, I commend your effort. This is an, an incredible topic and, I, and I'm so honored to talk to you about it and have you share. Um, how can we learn more? Where do we go? Are you writing a book soon? Because I need to read about all the stages of my cycle so I can master my emotions. <laughs> I will, de I will definitely write a book at some point because it's just been such a fun journey and I want to help continue building the ecosystem for other women who have great ideas but who can't break through those early stages and those early levels which is why free resources like this this podcast is so important to help sustain us until the system gets better so I really appreciate the work that you're doing so thank you um, but people can check out the agenda period on our website We've got a great group on Facebook with just a free resource for people to come to ask their questions about every topic under the sun. And it's called the Cycle Reintroduction Group. Um, and then it's just the agenda period on the App Store and everywhere else online. Um, and you could also, my name's on Alex, Alex at theagendaperiod.com. I'm super happy to answer questions because right now people are trying to find the solutions for these conditions and problems like searching hashtags on instagram and we need we need we deserve something better than that and so really i'm happy to help connect and you know put any pieces together for anyone who needs some support well thank you thank you for sharing with us and, to, and so talking much. about this important topic so thank you so much my thanks again to the inspiring Alex Kobel Fritz for joining us today. My next guest is the amazing Wendy Ora. Now, I connected with her at her home in Nairobi, Kenya. So please bear with some slight audio issues due to internet connectivity. Wendy is the executive director of Young Women Leaders Connect out of Kenya, and she's also the founder of SheRise, which is an initiative that champions female education. She was recognized as one of the top 25 most influential female student leaders in Kenya. And she's incredible in terms of her impact on the national gender-based violence initiatives and on the menstruation movement in order to ensure that young women in Africa have access to sanitary pads and other period products. Wendy, please just kick us off and tell us a little bit about your incredible work. Thank you so much, Sedna, for hosting me. My name is Wendy Aura, Executive Director of Young Women Leaders Connect. It's a youth-led organization in Kenya, and also an initiative, Shira is, that is also under one of our programs. Apart from that, I'm the Director of East Africa, Pan-African Female Young Leaders. Uh, yeah, I do quite a number of work in the area, matters of young people, especially young women. And I'm so glad to be here today talking about leadership, menstruation, and anything to do with leadership in general. So thank you so much for hosting me. Sure, yeah. sure. You're only 25 years old and you are working in political governance in order to shape gender equality. Talk to me a little bit about your work with the Young Women Leaders Connect and as the founder of SheRise. Uh, Young Women Leaders Connect was, is a youth-led organization, as I mentioned, and we are committed to changing the community one, time, one, uh, one person at a time by the young people. So our target is the young people. Uh, we work with a team of young, young leaders who are committed to our vision, and uh, we have various programs within the organization uh, we have the Shira's program, we have the Women in Governance program, we have the economic empowerment of young people. So in relation to menstruation, uh, it falls under the Shira's program where we are working uh, closely with young people to, uh, to provide support for girls in schools. So this is specifically for girls in school because girls face a number of challenges that 
may hinder them from getting the quality education we talk about. For instance, uh, gender-based violence, the teen pregnancies, uh, FGM, all these mostly directly impact the girl. Uh, and because we want a society where education is quality and equitable to both boy and girl, uh, we are trying to work on these barriers and try to address the issues affecting them so that they may get the sustainable uh, level of mentorship and also support. Uh, they may be able to reach their highest potential. So we have done quite a number of activities since we started. We have Shira's clubs in schools, and these schools are based in the rural areas of Nairobi uh, city. So uh, with these clubs, we have a structured mentorship program, and we, menstruation is one of the key things we talk about within our mentorship plan. We talk to them about what is menstruation, the stigma around it, being able to self-care, uh, personal hygiene, and how to break uh, taboos uh, around menstruation. So menstruation is one of the main things we talk about. And apart from that, we also give dignity, let me call them dignity packs, where for these girls who are not able to, uh, to afford the basic needs like sanitary pads in schools, we give them an alternative. It may be reusable or disposable pads. Uh, they find reasons to stay in school and uh, also participate as others. So under menstruation, it is a big issue that we are talking about. And it's not just a women issue, uh, because among the young people that we, uh, we work with, we also have young men who also are part of the menstrual conversation. So it's a whole lot of activities that we do around menstruation. What's your experience in terms of young women asking and talking about advocating for themselves and saying, hey, I need these pads. Talk to me about the way in which menstruation is stigmatized or talked about openly with young women. Unfortunately, uh, this is something that is real. Uh, we've been having campaigns and awareness about menstruation, but the bad news is that people still associate stigma with menstruation. There was a case that was in, in the news uh, some months ago in Kenya where a girl committed suicide because she was shamed by, uh, by a teacher uh, because of soiling her, her uniform. Th that really was a, a, a big question to us and we kept worrying now as stakeholders uh, are we in this century right now, are we supposed to be talking about uh, to the point of a girl committing suicide, like the stigma is still there and it's still uh, huge. So uh, it's something that exists uh, even for a, a very simple, typical example. When you go to the supermarket, when people shop for these sanitary pads, you find them still having to, uh, to hide them. Uh, among the, the the boat items. And then you wonder who doesn't know what a sanitary pad is. And if it is about uh, the men, some people not feeling open about talking about them to their fathers, their sons, or, or even their, their male relatives and friends. So you wonder uh, what kind of society we're still living because uh, this is something that is natural and women have no control over it. And I think uh, it's the society is supposed to embrace that it is a, a woman issue that is divine, it is feminine. Uh, so we are trying as much as possible to create awareness around this stigma. But yes, it still exists. Yeah, in many cases. Sure. And, and I love yes. that you really shed light to the fact that traditionally this has been something where maybe for generations, it's been something that women keep within their communities, women talk about. And so part of your solution is to say, let's have men out there talking about menstruation, talking about pads. Let's make sure that men are comfortable being part of this solution. And I know that you've said that you believe that young people should be on the front lines of busting myths about menstruation by talking about it, promoting hygiene and refusing to be silenced. With this in mind, how are young people in particular feeling empowered and really leading the discussions in a bolder way than you've seen in the past? Yeah, the good thing is the young people of today, they're 
uh, taking up upon themselves to uh, to be the change that the society wants. Young people are no longer victims or young people are no longer waiting to be served. But I've seen many, many young people starting initiatives to to impact change in the society. And uh, given a typical example of Young Women Leaders Connect, it is just young people, young men and women who are doing this work to the society. So I think, yes, the young people have come out to talk about them. The young people are engaging themselves in these conversations. And we're still creating more awareness of bringing on board more young people to break the stigma. Because I think it will, uh, if it is to end this stigma within the generation, it will start with us. There's an improvement in inclusion of the male counterparts in this conversation. There is an improvement, but we are, we are not, we've not reached to the level where we can say everyone is open to talk about them. Uh, there's a school that we visited in one of, the, one of our schools, in one of the clubs, and uh, the girl was, was really concerned that they live in a single house with the dad. The dad is a single, uh, he lives with a single dad. And his worry was if he's going to use reusable pads, where is she going to even hang the pads after washing them? Because he's afraid of the dad seeing the pads. So uh, that was, that was a, a, a typical example of what actually happens in reality. Uh, some girls are not still open of even talking about pads to their fathers. It means that they still feel it is a secret Menstruation is a secret. Sanitary pads is a secret of women and men should not talk about it. But I feel uh, we need to do more encouragement of male counterparts to be part of this journey of breaking the taboos and also understanding how it happens, uh, what is supposed to be done and how to embrace this whole menstruation thing. So it's, uh, yes, but I'm also pr proud of the men uh, who are openly coming up as champions of menstruation talks. So we have men who are already in the journey, but others still need more encouragement and awareness of yeah, being included in these conversations. So can you talk a little bit about the sex for pads controversy? There's one that was highlighted in the national television. I think it is in Baringo County where there was a story featured about uh, the girls in the area actually exchanging sex for pads. Uh, if you leave that alone, we went for, uh, a, we went for campaigns, a one-week campaigns in Busia County, and Busia is at the border of Kenya and Uganda. And within those days, when we were doing our ground research, we realized that there's also a transactional sex at the border where girls would sleep with with men especially there's a lot of truck drivers at the border those who take a long time maybe parked along the before they exit to Uganda so we realize there's a lot of transactional sex uh, in that county which is not talked about much and yeah these these are just examples of what really happens we have Households which are so poor and they are torn between buy fo buying food or buying pads. And when they are not able to get these basic needs, they often op opt for other options like um, maybe using mattress or maybe using some other funny things as pads. So some girls, they may find themselves having to get that money in a very funny way. And that is through sleeping with men. So it's unfortunate that these things happen. And most of the time, some of them are not highlighted. But the Baringo case was highlighted in the TV. But who knows how many cases are still uncovered. So the reality is, especially with girls who are coming from poor backgrounds, if they're not able to afford, and the, maybe the, the mothers, the fathers have huge burdens or are huge decisions to make with the little money they get. It's often hard and they have to go the tough, the tough way of getting pads. So, so Wendy, I just have to kind of rewind a little bit. What you just shared is so powerful and it really sheds light to the way in which period poverty um, connects to mm. inadequate reproductive um, rights and education. And ultimately it 
it correlates to girls not being able to stay in school. I have never, it's never crossed my mind that this, this could be something where, where girls are having sex in order to have access to sanitary pads. And it, it's incredible to think about how women and girls across the world have such different experiences in terms of access to basic menstruation products. Um, let me ask you a couple questions. So originally you, you mentioned that, you know, there's a mismanagement with the government in providing um, sanit sanitary pads to girls in schools. Is that a requirement in um, Kenya that the government should be providing these pads? It is a requirement. Uh, the government, uh, uh, formerly it was under the, the docket of Ministry of uh, under the the office of the women representative of counties but being a person that works in the non-governmental space you realize that uh, uh, as much as the government has allocations of these sanitary pads to schools when you we actually go to those schools we still find there's a deficiency meaning that these pads they may not reach to every girl as it's supposed to be. It does not reach to every school, and especially those in very remote areas. You find girls still complaining when they're in school. So you wonder uh, if the government is talking about allocation, where do these parts go to? So the issue has been about accountability and management of these allocations. And uh, recently it was transferred to, uh, to the county commissioner's office uh, now the, the the sanitary pads are managed by the county commissioners and uh, because of maybe management issues. But yeah, the, we still know there are existing gaps in management. And uh, for us, that is why we come in as young people to fill in that gap where they are not able to reach to the most remote people. Uh, we come in now to support where we can. I've seen programs where uh, they donate these menstrual men, menstrual kits to the, the deserving girls. Uh, but again, that is not enough and that is not sustainable. Because when you go to those, uh, those areas and give them pads for maybe one month or two months, and then you never come back again, after those few months, they are back to where they were. So I think the issue of sustainability has been the issue. Uh, and for us, that's why we, we decided to do the Shiraz clubs. With the clubs, we make sure that for the girls that are adopted within the clubs, they have, if for example, right now they're in primary, uh, they have a, a full supply of pads for the whole term, and not even the term, for the whole year, for the, all, the whole educational course. So they're like our adopted girls. Uh, we make sure that uh, the school has custody of pads that are kept for them and they never lack because uh, you can imagine if we are looking taking care of 50 and these 50 they never have to worry about pads for the, the next years they're in school then that is much much more impactful than uh, going somewhere random and giving the pads and disappearing because they'll never find you again and you leave them back to where they were they will be back to square one and that's why I think we, for us, it was a challenge for us to find a men, um, sustainable way of um, making the, the bringing the menstrual impact. Uh, so the efforts being made, but I think there's still more ways we can find how to counter these sex for pads. It is a, a huge thing. Now, uh, when we start with education, when they are out of school, uh, because they, they cannot cover themselves with quality pads, uh, that alone is a hindrance in leadership because education is one promoter of leadership. So when they are losing that time, all those time while at home, then we are losing time for nurturing leadership. And again, also, um, leadership is about nurturing confidence in people so when they are not able to confidently stand before people because they are afraid of uh, period stigma or they are afraid of maybe leakages on their clothes 
then that confidence is taken away. And when you talk about leadership, we want to nurture leadership from the lowest level, primary, secondary level. So, yes, when we don't deal with this issue of the basic things in a girl's life, then there's no leadership even from our end. So when you want to talk about leadership, grooming leadership in them, we also have to talk about building confidence in them and giving them the full opportunity. And that is through staying in school, getting the right education. Yeah, and uh, just being there to support them. You're saying that it's, it's vital. You know, it's so sad in, in many ways to say that, you know, there isn't right now the ability to provide all girls in Kenya with sanitary um, pads and options. And so the sustainable approach is to identify specific schools and institutions where you can say, okay, well, at least what we can do is provide these girls with a sustainable option. So they have them as part of their long-term plan versus going um, wide and broad and kind of putting a band-aid on the issue in a short-term way. Extremely heartbreaking and, and, and yeah. fascinating to think about the extent of need in this space and my question for you, my last question for you is what is your vision for the future on how Kenya and the rest of the world can treat women and girls with regard to menstruation? Uh, good question. Uh, the future is quite ambitious, though I know there's nothing too ambitious to, to be done. It's a vision where girls and young women don't have to, to choose between their dignity and other other necessities, uh, a future where girls uh, and young women are able to reach their highest potential. Uh, they don't have to think uh, to to always have to deal with these barriers every day. Uh, we are fighting so much, so much issues right now. Teen, there's a lot of teen pregnancy in the country, but uh, I think at one point we need a country where. Uh, girls are able to make decisions of their bodies. Boys are able to respect themselves and their their female friends. And where we don't have to talk about uh, teen pregnancy as a crisis, we have many things to deal with as a society. And so the future should be where the society is involved, fully included in managing societal issues. The society just accepting that a young girl or a young woman from nowhere can rise uh, against odds and be the best she can. So the future is very promising, but it will take a lot of uh, acceptance from the community and also a lot of transformational leadership from our end, the young people. So it's quite a bright future, but uh, quite a journey also to be achieved. That's great. That's great. Yeah. And and listeners will be able to learn more about you through leaderstories.org and to learn more about your organization, She Rise, and your work with the Young Women Leaders Connect program. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to learn from you. And I look forward to continuing to learn more and to talk to you about your incredible work. Thank you so much, Sedna, for this opportunity. And yeah, I'm so grateful for Leader Voices and let's keep doing what we do and yeah, let's keep impacting lives. Thank you so much. That was the amazing Wendy Aura. It's astonishing to think that she's only 25 years old and one of the leading voices on the menstruation movement in Africa. I'd like to thank both Wendy and of course the incredible firecracker that is Alex Coble Frakes. I strongly encourage you to check out both of their incredible work and learn more about them by checking out theagendaperiod.com and leaderstories.org. Well, I don't know about you, but I thought today's show was bloody good. See you next time. This show is brought to you by the American Express Leadership Academy Alumni Network. 
the Arizona State University Lodestar Center for Philanthropy and Nonprofit Innovation and LeaderStories.org. I'd like to thank all the people who make the show possible. Rick Bronson, my producer and co-writer. Caitlin Johnson, our engagement and associate producer. Michael Chang, our project and operations manager and the good folks at Drift Compatible Productions, specifically our audio engineer, Buck Newman. Without their help and my incredible talent, <laughs> this show would not be possible. See you next time on Leader Voices. I hope that what you heard leaves you inspired to lead the way. For more information and to be in the know about the show, visit us at leadervoices.global.